Oh, yeah. Try to make your spouse laugh or somebody you're in a fight with, and all that does is increase the fighting. Could you get those lights for me today? You know, at the top of your notes, if you're new to a LifeHouse, there's a set of purple notes. You can't miss those in your program. Or you can go to your smartphone, go to the Bible app. You can follow along on that. Right at the top of your notes there, I have a quote from Billy Graham's wife. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Could I also say it this way? Could you just scratch that and put the union or the happy marriage? The, you know, I mean, a happy marriage is the union of two good fighters. Christian fighters. Christian principled fighters. Because is there anybody that gets married and doesn't have a fight? Is there anybody that gets married and doesn't have an argument? If it is, one of you is a... All right, now let's move on here. Today, I'm not here to talk to you or to put somebody down. I'm here to speak to everybody here because what I'll share with you between husband and wife can work between you and your boss, you and your co-worker, you and your family, or anybody else. Let's look at fighting uh, the ground rules as found in James 1, verse 19 through 21. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, he could simply say, my dear husband and wife. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And folks, that is the same way in marriage too. The anger that is produced, human anger, it doesn't produce the results that you're looking for. If, if you really want to fight and you don't want it resolved, then maybe you got the results you want, but isn't it to get resolution and on the same page? Verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Sometimes fighting turns nasty and filthy. And the evil that is so prevalent, and sometimes we can be evil and name-calling and other things, is so pre- and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, folks, that's why I say to you today that this won't work outside of Christianity because the only way the word of God can be planted in you is if you're sucking it up. If you're drinking it down, if you're eating it, all of the words that the Bible talks about, are, is it living, is it abiding in you? You know, it's just like studying baseball stats and being able to recall them without looking at the newspaper. That's why we study the Word of God. We can recall it in whatever situation we find ourselves in, and it teaches us and it guides us. So Dr. John Gottman, I came up with this, uh, I found this, I, I should say, said that after watching a couple fight, and trust me, if you do couples counseling, they will fight right in front of you. It'll be like you ain't even there sometimes. He said that after watching a couple fight, he could predict with 91% accuracy if the couple was going to stay together. The two principles that come out of this, the fighting rules are be quick to be slow. Be quick to be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Slow to become angry. The other one was verse 21. Here's the second principle. Obey what the Holy Spirit is trying to bring out of you when you're in that conflict. And then you can... Fight by the Spirit. I don't think you'll find that in the Scripture, but you can fight by the Spirit. All right, four different things today. Fighting to win, because fighting is, number one, staying on point, not on pressure. When you get into a situation, the number one thing you need to think about, you need to look at it, is, uh, are you going to stay on point, or are you going to just keep putting the pressure on the one you're with? I mean, have you ever fought so much, so hard, back and forth, so bad, name-calling, whatever it is, and you get to the end, and you're just like, what were we fighting about? 
Because the fight enveloped and the fight got so defensive and so offensive. Folks, uh, name-calling increases the blood pressure of the one you are calling a name. It increases the emotions, increases the feeling. It puts the pressure on. Watch out for words like, you idiot. You jerk. Watch the phrases like, you always or you never. You're having a conversation. You're bringing all this other stuff in. You're bringing this pressure on. You know, you come home and you, you tried to talk about getting some things done and you basically say, you're so lazy. Name calling. There's an opposite and a, a different way to go. What's the topic you're fighting about? Come back to that. What is the point that you're talking about? Are you putting pressure on by name calling or this, that, or the other? You know, couldn't that phrase, you're so lazy, whatever it turn into, you know, honey, I, I know you come home tired. I come home tired. We've both been doing this, that, the other. Do you think that when... I come home, if you've been here, that if the kids make a mess, that you could clean up that or do the dishes or something. Have a conversation. Not the pointing and not the... Because you bring up the past in an argument, man, it just begins to explode everything, right? Not only do you want to say how you, watch how you say it, you want to be careful, am I, am I going to recall something from the past? Because you know love holds no record of wrong. I don't know what it is you got, but if it's holding the record wrong, it ain't love. That's what my scripture tells me. I mean, can't you just say, remember when we went on vacation and you didn't follow the instructions, you didn't have a map, you thought you knew how to get there, we were two hours late and we missed the whole event in 1999. Right? Chevy Chase vacation, right? You know, in the, in the end, it's okay to disagree. I hope that you have gotten to this place. I hope you will get to this place. That it's okay to disagree. Well, we're just going to respectfully disagree and move on. In the end, like I say, it's okay. It doesn't always have to do with facts. That's something, when you're putting the pressure on and not staying to the point, you may not realize this. A good amount of fights don't have anything to do with facts. And if, those of you who are analytical are thinking, what are you talking about? And those of you who are, understand where I'm going, you understand, yeah, you hurt my feelings. Feelings, facts. You don't always fight about facts. And if you think it's about facts and you can't get understand the feelings, then you have to start to understand the feelings and vice versa. You know, if your spouse is not talking about facts, I always say stop, drop, and roll because there's a fire going on. You caught on fire and you ain't getting it. If they're shaking their head, if they're frustrated, if they're checking out, they're walking away, you've probably hurt their feelings. And if you hurt their feelings, you don't want to come down and say, you're so doggone sensitive, I can't say anything around you. Verse 21 says, Evan, listen to the Spirit. What is the Spirit trying to get you to react, how to get you to react differently than the way you were raised and the way you've done it all of your life? What's the Spirit saying to you during the fight? Because the best way to resolve differences is by purposefully not putting pressure on your spouse and staying on point. Number one, stay on point, not on pressure. Number two, 
And this passage of Scripture teaches us, open our ears, not our mouth. Open your ears, not your mouth. I know this is easier said than done. For those of you who are, who, like me who are just, so you hear something, you react. Boom, 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 boom. It can be difficult. But that means you need to be controlled by the Spirit, you know. Uh, it definitely is easier said than done. When a person puts a hold on their response, it allows the mind to engage. Do you see what the truth of the Scripture says? It, it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Because when that happens, and you don't respond right away, it gives the mind. When you're listening, the mind gets engaged. And if your mind gets engaged and the Holy Spirit is with you, he will lead you on the way to go. He will lead you. But if you, you know, two seconds silence in an argument, man, a bunch of, a couple Italians, and I, that can seem like an hour. Two seconds to gather yourself. Two seconds to think, let me open my ears, let me hear what's saying. You know, three things that are involved in this passage of Scripture. My ears, my mind, because I'm listening, and then my mouth. And verse 21 says it should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, if I obey this passage of Scripture, and if I obey what it has to say here, I'm fighting with my spouse, the Spirit takes me beyond the words that were getting ready to come out of my mouth. The Spirit takes me beyond that to the Spirit. And by the Spirit, I can understand what they are saying or what they are feeling. It isn't just what they're saying. It can be what they're feeling. You know. Then I can use my mouth in a very powerful way if led by the Spirit. Consider these three responses compared to maybe just defending yourself. What if you said, man, I didn't realize you were feeling that way. I didn't, that means... You care about how I feel, not just facts. I didn't see it from that perspective because if one of you is a man and one of you is a woman, which is what marriage is about, I don't, it, you're going to have different perspectives. We laugh about it. And then you could say something like this. You know, you may be right. Now, have CPR ready. If you say that, are you filled with the Spirit enough to know, to be able to say as a man or woman, you know, you might be right. You might be right. Proverbs 15.1, somebody comes at you, whatever, they are the temper. You get home, you get bam, boom, boom, whatever. You know, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Somebody can approach you and you think, you know, they ramped it up, I get to get in their face. Not according to the Bible. You may think that's that way. You may think you're, you have this because of your personality or whatever it is. No, ma'am. No, sir. This works in the workplace. This works at home. They may be screaming, screaming, screaming. But if you're quiet and soft-spoken, it really takes a real jerk to stay screaming in your face when you bring it down. The scriptures teach the truth. You bring them down. If your spouse disobeys this command to be quick to listen slow, all you're doing is you're just damaging your own relationship. When your spouse says something like, well, that hurts when you say or when you do this, you don't have, maybe you would think it, but don't, don't say, you know, well, that's just you. You're such a baby. You're such a whiner. Oh, that's going to help. That helps a lot. You know it as I'm sitting here talking about, it, and I know it too, but sometimes they just come out. Unless I'm led by the Spirit. So don't think of your response before your spouse is done talking. Any of you do this? 
You're talking, Maria's talking to me this, that, the other. I already know what I'm going to say back. Matter of fact, I might cut her off halfway. Be careful not to think what your response is while your spouse is talking. So uh, run what's coming out of your spouse's mouth through your ears. Keep your lips shut. Let the Holy Spirit guide your mind because this is to be the norm for Christians and for Christians, husbands and wives. Number three, give compliments, not digs. Give compliment, not digs, because words, amazingly enough, can create anger. They can create anger. One of uh, the two different people I'd like to talk to today, give compliments, not digs. Here is the one who is causing the anger. Here's the one who is causing the digs, not the person receiving it. Let's look there first. I would say to myself, and I say to you, don't kid about something that hurts your spouse and then say, I was only kidding. Right? You ever do that? It's just like you said something you didn't realize, and it's just like, oh, I was only kidding. Stop it. Admit it. You'll never get anywhere if that. You know, can't you take a joke? Have you no sense of humor? Yeah, you're, you're mocking me. Yeah, everybody loves to be mocked and, and laughed at, right? Ah, oh, I just love it. Learn what not to kid about. If you have a friend or if you have a husband or wife, you better learn what not to kid about. You know, one of the things I see lots of times is husbands and wives will pick on their body parts. Next week we're doing intimacy is, PG-17, so be careful who you bring in here. All right, you know, you know, listen, you married your spouse, you better love every body part they have, big, small, medium, large, huge, whatever it is. You love it. You pick on a body part, you hurt somebody. Have you ever met a woman who isn't on a diet? I mean, you can met olive oil, 90 pounds or elbow bones are sticking out, needs to lose weight. You better be careful. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you say it. Be careful of those things. Watch the person's body language. Take a look at their face. If they turn and they walk away, they get quiet. Be careful. Maria and I laugh a lot about it now, but, you know, I always wanted to spend, 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 and she always wanted to save, save, save. And so I, in my early years, would call her cheap. You're so cheap, this, that, the other, you know. But then you grow and you learn after, you know, you spend some lonely nights on the couch. Oh, that really creates intimacy. You're such a cheap Slovenian. Now I've learned... Honey, you are so thrifty. Just changed it. And it's true. And I see now how thrifty she is. It helps me put gas in the boat. Todd, you don't know, be thrifty. And, and honestly, we have what we have a lot because she's thrifty. You know? Sarcasm is kind of the bane of my family. Sarcasm a lot, sometimes it just comes out. It's, I've struggled with it, you know? It's not cute when you're cutting your spouse down. It's not cute when you're cutting somebody else down. You know, it's just, it's so fun to come out and to say it, but it's not cute. Uh, you know, sarcasm is the bane. It's not cute. You have to learn several different things to learn how to control it. I'm constantly working on it. So that's from the perspective of the one who's causing the anger. How about the person who is receiving? How about the person on the other side, the one who is receiving the digs, the one who is getting the retaliation, you know? Retaliation in the first response, lots of times your retaliation is, oh, yeah, well, you were a big jerk, and you were abandoned by a bunch of baboons. Whatever you comes out of your mouth. Retaliation, right? Retaliation and reaction. I see couples... When one spouse has done something hurtful that the other spouse ends up picking up the same sword. I'm thinking of a couple now that uh, I've known many, many, many years. He was always uh, judgmental, hard, 
picked on things. Nothing was ever good or right. She was just gentle. She was kind, soft-spoken. But over the years, she picked up his swords. And now both of them are judgmental. Both of them are mean. Both of them are picking. Not on everybody else, but on each other. When you get around them, you just are embarrassed for them. You don't want to be around them. And less and less people are hanging with them. They, they get it. They, that's where they're at, you know. You know, if you're out with dinner and, and you're with a bunch of friends, you know, just because you say, well, I'm Italian or I'm this or whatever, and then you start jokingly mocking your spouse, you know, it's uncomfortable for everybody there. It's so uncomfortable for everybody there. You know, uh, verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil is so prevalent, cutting each other down. How many of you here today would stand and shout, I love to be embarrassed in public? I would want five people to stand up and mock how short Evan is. If you don't like being mocked in public, then why would a sarcastic comment towards your spouse be something acceptable in public? With other people around. Oof. Everybody cringes in and around it. I, I learned this from Focus on the Family when I first became a Christian, when I first got married. I don't remember who said it, but they, one of the things they taught is never put your spouse down in public. Never put your spouse down in public. Something I've been learning and practicing, and sometimes I slip up, but some things, you know, never. We were at the uh, nursing home, and there was a couple. He, was, he must have been, I think he was like almost 90 years old. She was a couple years younger. You know? And they talked about each other, and I, I can't even explain to you the normal things that couples take digs about, oh, this, that, the other. They didn't dig on each other one time. It was almost sickening. Thank you, Christy. You know, they, they were just, they, they just, even at an old age, they didn't let anger get in, no bitterness. They just complimented each other. Oh, this, that, whatever he was no good at, oh, that's okay. This, I mean, I'm just, and I was thinking, it has stuck with me to this day. Give compliments, not digs. Never dig with the word divorce. Well, you know, you keep this up, I'll divorce you. Never dig with, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. Some of you know Pastor Bill McMinn. I got his permission to share this with you. Him and I do a radio show, and we did a show on uh, communication between husbands and wives. And during that, he shared this, and it went public on the radio, so I guess it, I did tell him I was going to use this. He said for 20 years it took him to learn some, one thing. He said he would, he's, you know, sarcastic, you know, chiding, saying things that are funny about his wife in public, different things like that. And finally, she said to him for several years, if we're both not laughing, it's not funny. He said, Evan, 20 years it took me to learn this. And just talking about it helped him. If we're both not laughing, that's, not so, that's a pretty good thing to talk to your husband or wife or your friend. If we're both not laughing, it's not funny. 
digs. You know, when you dig on your spouse, you're only digging your own grave, everybody. So stop the digs. They're not that cute, especially to those who are around, and start complimenting your spouse in public. It helps avoid a fight from ever even starting. You've been insulting in some cute way you think out to dinner, and you go home and say, hey, honey, you ready to get it on? No, not tonight. You gave me a headache. They probably won't say you gave me a headache, but that's what they mean, you know. Number four, for those with children, raise children, not territories. There's no biblical foundation that I can say to you stronger than this. The best compliment that you can get is from your friends is, is, man, I really see how you and your wife really love each other over the kids. I see that the two of you get out and get away together. So that is something that, you know, you're not looking for a compliment, but that's one of the ways you can know. You see, sometimes a mom and her kids or a mom and her daughters can take sides against dad or vice versa, dad with the boys or whatever it is. Kids, when you bring them into a marriage, they bring a whole new challenge, a whole new area of fighting. You start to say to yourself, you know, how are we going to discipline them? Because both of you came from different families. How are you going to discipline? You're just thinking in your mind, well, this is the way we're going to do it. And she's thinking, yeah, we're going to do it this way. And it just creates a fight between the two of you. You have to come together. There is nobody here that can use a computer, has any excuse not to find Christian resources for raising your children and finding how to come to common ground. You're also going to fight about how do you reward your kids. One's going to think you're just spoiling them. The other thing, are you kidding me? Chores, what are they going to do? Are they going to always play? You know, does that all come? You know, who's going to make sure they do the chores? I see couples looking at each other right now. And one of the things, parents, I want you to learn from, your, from grandparents. Learn something from grandparents. Now, I say this with a caveat. Godly grandparents who love you and you respect. Sometimes when you freak out about something that happens to your little kid and they poo-poo it, that makes you angry. They've been there. They know. They understand. Sometimes with our kids, we make a big deal out of some things that isn't a big deal. You know, our first child, Joshua, he was in those round things. He went down one stair and fell over. We freaked out. Call 911. He's got a brain contusion. By the time Elizabeth came along, the last one, Daniela was kicking her down the three flights of stairs, and we were saying, get up. It's only a flesh wound. It's, would you, grandparents, be careful how you approach, but at the same time, you have gained some wisdom. And, and parents, here's one thing grandparents know. Your children are stronger mentally and can handle more mentally than you think. I'm not talking about they're looking. When they get up there six, seven, man, they've heard more out in the world than the playground than you're letting them have at home. But what happens sometimes is you start to protect them so much, they're in the other room listening. They're listening through the wall. Or like I discovered at my house, they're listening through a vent. Those kids are listening, they're hearing it, and you're not talking to them about it because, oh, you don't want to burden them with it. Oh, my gosh, they're burdened, man. They are stronger than you think. They can handle more than you think. Stop protecting them so much and engage them on their level. Let them know. Do you know how many divorced people I talk to and then they want me to talk to their kids? Do you know why they want me to talk to their kids? Their kids think they caused the divorce. Almost to a T, they think, if I would have only t- taken the garbage out, my parents would still be, if my mom hadn't gotten so mad and yelled at me, to a T, the kids think they caused it. 
You need to include them. You know, get, get your kids educated. Get, get them, understand what it means to be disciplined yourselves and understand what you're going to do, how you're going to handle these things and do what you do together. One of the things I want to say to those of you who have blended families, the Bible doesn't change when you get married and you bring blended children in. Your husband or your spouse is still number one. If you go into a marriage saying, listen, I'm coming into this, but my children come before you, run. The Bible doesn't change for a blended family. I love you, I love you, but I, you're messing it up. If the kids come before, you get ready to marry somebody else, make sure it's the two of you become one flesh. That's what the Bible teaches. The kids will not come before. If if you head down that path, you think um, you're being disobedient to the Word of God. The way that you fight in front of your children either is healthy for them or damaging to them. So take everything that was taught here and much more and learn how to fight with respect. Even when you're in a fight, you can understand that your spouse loves you. Parents, you must stay as one. Raise your children, not territories. My side, your side. So, you know, I have in the bottom of your notes there, you know, to start a conversation, not a fight, you know. You know, wait until you uh, can have some time to sit and to think about it. Be careful of people who teach this. If you have a conflict, you have a problem, you need to resolve it right away as soon as possible. They'll use a passage of scripture, don't let the sun go down on your anger, you know. Folks, sometimes you need to process your anger. Sometimes you need to think it through. Sometimes you need, I probably learned this the greatest from my wife, Maria. It's amazing that if you have control over a situation with me, with somebody in the church, or with you and your husband, you wait 24 hours, it is amazing what a Christian can sense and feel from God in 24 hours. Now, after 24 hours, you need to talk about it. Maybe it's two or three hours. It just creates a conversation. Not a fight right away. Somebody's doing something, they don't even know it. You know, just maybe, you know, one of you talks more than the other. One of them, you know, some point at the other, you know, it's just like, would you please talk to me? Well, give me a little bit of time. Speak, you know, give me a little bit of time. Let me think on this. Let me process that. Folks, the only way that you will ever say these words, quote, we are more in love now than the day we met, unquote, is to learn how to fight with Christian principles. It's the only way you'll ever say that. Fighting is made up of words, emotions, disagreements, and anger. Um, three topics that are number one that I see. Two of them everybody pretty much knows. Number one topic that causes uh, separations, divorces, is infidelity, another man or another woman. The second one isn't so much money, it's Spending. Husband and wife trying to spend. And a third one that I have seen on the increase for five years, talk to people about it. People come to me. It's just when one of the spouse's in-laws are degrading them or saying something about them and the other spouse doesn't defend them. I personally experienced this. I personally experienced this, you know. Having to stand up, have a nice conversation with my mother-in-law. And they, this, this, is, this is my wife. You will never talk to her like that again or you're not welcome in my house. Had it. Your spouse needs to feel like you're number one. Isn't it number one? And you can't just say, well, they don't really mean it. Get over it. 
No. Will you listen to the feelings that your spouse is feeling? Stand up for them. That's, that seems to be growing and growing with me. Maybe it's, I don't know if it has something to do with young millennials or whatever it is. So two central points, and then I want to play a video for you. Number one, talk to your spouse today about one thing from today. And if this is you and a friend or a relationship, talk to them today. If you file this and don't do anything, you, you're most likely not ever going to practice it. The second double asterisk there is respond to your spouse today. If they get the courage to be able to talk to you today, respond today. Don't just hear your spouse, respond to them in some way. See, you can respect your spouse while you're fighting. Yes, you can. You can respect them while you're fighting. It shows that even though you disagree with them, that I love you and I'm committed to you. So, three things I have in your notes. Build a solid foundation. On the back side of your notes are seven bricks that will build your foundation. Seven bricks, seven qualities, seven whatever it is you want to call it for your relationship. I put a line down there. Maybe you want to add something or take something away or reword it. You work that out with your spouse or with a friend or whoever. The second thing is, is I'm going to show you in just a second. I'm going to close with a video. It's called Broken Together by a Casting Crowns. One of the lines, and it says, maybe you and I were never meant to be complete. Pause. Do you understand why this Christian song is saying this? The world is saying, you're going to find somebody and they're going to make you so happy, so complete, this, that, the other, and it is a bunch of bullywonky. It is baloney. You complete me. A stupid line from a stupid movie. If Instead, you're setting yourself up. Your husband or wife will never complete you. Only your creator can complete you. Draw close to him. But the line goes on to say, maybe you and I were never meant to be complete. Could we just be broken together? The idea of brokenness comes right from Jesus. Denying himself being broken so that you and I can receive salvation. Those that understand this understand that in my marriage, I'm better off being broken because God uses broken things. He uses broken, wicked things. Broken and spilled out, one song says. Billy Graham, is as great as he was theologically and as a Christian, as somebody we emulate, is because he was broken. His wife, too, had to be to let him go as much time as he was missing. I'm not missing. Gone. <laughs> My husband's missing. Could somebody find Billy for me? You know, because are you broken together for the kingdom? Are you broken together for Christ? Or are you just fighting against each other? Couldn't we just be broken? And the last thing is a testimony that I received from a friend I'd like to read to you, and then we'll kill these lights and show that video. Quote, For many years we struggled in our marriage. We both did and said things that we later regretted. We also brought up past things when in the heat of an argument. This, of course, added to our failing marriage. My husband found the book Love and Respect, which he read and then gave to me to read. We worked through a lot of things going through that book, learning about the difference, differences between us. That year on our 21st wedding anniversary, we decided to renew our wedding vows. Before God, we vowed to begin again, not to bring up past mistakes. This was a new beginning, unquote. So I don't know where you're at. There's a testimony of a husband and a wife who basically said, okay, let's start anew and let's start fresh. So this 
Father, prepare our hearts to understand that brokenness means selflessness, that it means we think of the other person before ourselves just like Jesus Christ did. This is how our marriages will be bound tight together by your spirit. May we be good listeners, slow to speak, on point to make sure that we listen and make sure that, Father God, we then let your spirit bring out what you have put inside of us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.